Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by rockauto.com. Here's your host, John Davis. And welcome to MotorWeek podcast number 69. I am John Davis. We're coming to you from Studio C at MotorWeek World Headquarters. And around our unusually shaped, uh, odd-shaped table today, besides the odd-shaped people around the table, is our writer and two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson. Uh, hello, John. Hello, Brian. And over-the-edge reporter, Stephen Chupnick. Hey, hey. And our associate producer and chief guru when it comes to road tests, Ben Davis. Back once again. And we have a lot to cover on this show today. So let's start with the New York Auto Show, which just completed. And um, I'll give a quick rundown on what I saw at the show. And anyone else here that saw the coverage, jump right in. Easily the most uh, long-awaited vehicle at the show was uh, the third-generation uh, Viper from Chrysler, now called an SRT Viper. The Dodge name has not used anymore. It was split off into the separate SRT Performance brand. Um, still looks like a Viper. Still got a V10 engine, but much more refined looking inside and out. Can't wait. And, uh, I, me too. And they're going to race them in the American Le Mans series. Uh, it was. It had crowds ten deep for two days. I mean, you just had a hard time even getting up close to the car. Yeah, so. Le Mans should be extra noisy then. And so. it, was, it was gorgeous. <laughs> uh, other cars of note, um, the, uh, there were, were a lot of uh, sedans. There were a lot of uh, redone utilities, all the big GM utilities, including the Traverse and the Enclave, get uh, new exteriors, uh, minor changes inside. They get the new center airbag. Uh, I think Toyota's new Avalon probably was one of the most significant new sedans, uh, full size, larger than we uh, than before. Can you still um, get a tape deck in it? Because I you believe can't, current I Avalon, don't think you can get, you can a, tape still get a tape deck. I think oh, I think no. that finally bit the dust. But much more. Sorry, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, unboring. Uh, it was. It's a nice looking car. Uh, they definitely are getting trying to get a little more uh, dramatic. Anything anybody saw? That, was the Impala? I saw some pictures. Was that up there? Thanks for mentioning yeah. that. That was a big surprise. We've been seeing some drawings of the new Impala, which everyone probably realizes you see more in fleets than you do in driveways at homes. But it is a Chevrolet's number one selling car. They actually expect the new car, which is very nice looking and very expensive looking, and I think better looking than the Avalon. Uh, they think it will probably actually sell fewer copies because they are not going to be selling it to fleets as easily. Uh, still V6 powered, the best interior Chevrolet's done in a sedan yet. And that's saying something because they've done some very nice ones lately. Still front drive? Still front uh-huh. drive. A lot of rumors about it being rear drive not happening. It basically is the new Cadillac XTS uh, chassis. Right, right. Okay. Uh, so, and it's going to have almost all the bells and whistles of the Cadillac's XTS, all the lane departure systems and all that. So, a very, very nice looking car. Um, I know we're going to be talking about the, the Fisker Karma later in the show. Fisker uh, showed the night before the show their new car, which is a smaller sedan called the Atlantic. It's the one they were hoping to build in Delaware. It's not sh- quite sure where they're going to build it now or whether it will be out in 2014 or not. But it looks pretty much like the Karma, except smaller, uh, and should be substantially cheaper, I think about half the price. Instead of wow. over 100 it will be around 50 to 60 uh, Otherwise, it was a great show. There was a lot to see. I would say it was almost on par with um, the uh, Detroit Auto Show. 
And the New York show seems to be getting more important every year. And frankly, if you are uh, an audio autophile and you're in the East Coast area, come the uh, period around Easter every year, you ought to stop by the New York show. It's a good show. Moving on from that, Brian Robinson, you Hello. just came back from um, sorting out uh, our latest uh, shootout among uh, this time among. Subcompacts limited to sixteen thousand uh, dollars. This is a, uh, a series of comparison tests that we do with USA Today and our friends over at Cars.com. Why don't you tell us about the sixteen thousand dollars subcompact shootout? Uh, yeah, just a quick rundown of the cars. Uh, we had seven subcompacts: Honda Fit, Nissan Versa, Ford Fiesta, Hyundai Accent, Toyota Yaris, Kia Rio, Chevrolet Sonic, and. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, they all had to be priced under $16,000. Some were sedans, some were hatchbacks, which I originally thought the hatchbacks would have an advantage being much roomier. But sedans, uh, you know, with a trunk are almost as practical. Hatchbacks are better, obviously, if you have a big, huge box. Mm-hmm. But you really don't take advantage of that upper storage area that much in hatchbacks. So I really wouldn't uh, worry about that too much. Um this was done out in California, and we had a local uh, couple help us out, as usual. And uh, basically, it came down to the Honda Fit as the winner. What which, were you had Fit, but you narrowed it down to four. Uh, that, right? Yeah, Honda Fit was first, the Kia Rio was second, Honda Accent third, and the Chevrolet Sonic, I believe, was uh, fourth place. Well, that's that's a good group. I mean, I should we should go on the record saying that we had picked the Accent and the Rio as our driver's choice uh, winners. Uh, but what gave the Fit advantage? After all, it was just about the oldest car in the group. I guess it was the by oldest far car the, the oldest. Group. Yeah, everything yeah. else was new for eleven or twelve. Uh, this hasn't been redesigned uh, significantly in I think since '09 or yeah, a couple years like ago. And uh, it really came down to practicality. I mean, the family summed it up best when they looked at it. Uh, the wife thought it was ugly, something that she would never buy. Uh, but then after driving it, uh, they loved the way it drove. And then just the flexibility of the rear seat with the magic seat. You can bring the bottom up, fold the whole thing down. There's just a ton of room in there. And that's really uh, what sealed the deal for it. Everyone else around the table, we get a lot of these subcompacts in. How have they changed from what we used to call it? Look at that class five years ago. I think, I think they've gotten – Smaller but more practical. You know, I mean, all the other small sedans have gotten bigger. And I know at least with the Fit, we had the, you know, we had a long-term Fit for a while. And I think that magic seat was really one of those things that that really stood out. But it's funny, Ben and I were talking just just before this and saying that Honda always seems to come out on top. Just because even if they have the lowest gas mileage, highest price, it's just something about Honda and, and what they put out that, seems to push that over the edge. I guess the, I look at the quality of these vehicles. They don't look yeah. inexpensive anymore. No. You can get air conditioning, and, and they're loaded with technology. Yeah, navigation, everything. It yeah. never used to be the case yeah. back when. There's also something else that's happened to this market where the, um, the younger buyer, uh, so I would say that's anyone probably under 35, is more inclined to buy the hatchbacks that often are the, the, uh, the, the big push for these subcompacts. Uh, and when they – because a lot of the older buyers want to go the sedan route and don't want to go the hatchback route, but the young buyers tend to like the versatility of the hatchback. I'll, I'll give a shout-out to the Nissan Versa. It came in, I think, last in the competition. But, it's the cheapest. Um, it's the cheapest car in America, so it, it had that uh, kind of in its disadvantage. It's also, though, the biggest on the but, inside. Yeah, I was going to say the interior, the rear seat and trunk are both enormous, and it's yeah. a very practical car. And even 
even the cheapest car that you can buy in America is a very decent car, much better than it was 10, 15 years ago. I heard that's uh, that cheap entry price on that uh, versus heard, putting a little hurt on the used car market, I hear. Well, when you look at what is $11,000 probably or less, and you're thinking, even though, even if you step up which with a little bit of options, you're still. You know, twelve, thirteen thousand, and you're getting a, a very large car on the inside, even if it's not the most stylish or and a warranty uh, and a good warranty and and a most powerful engine, I think, in this class too. Okay, let's move on now to something that is uh, one of the few cars in its class, and that's the Fisker Karma. It's another extended range electric car like the Volt, but from there, Ben, uh, tell us about it. When you see the, the Karma in person, and I don't care how many pictures you've seen or the Matchbox cars out, but Chuppy Silla from my office. It sits on top of my RX-8. So, you know, you know that it's, it's definitely bigger, you know. It's larger than life in person, and it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, Heinrich Fisker, he started out, he designed the uh, BMW Z8. He mm-hmm. did the DB9 and the V8 Vantage. The guy knows what he's doing, and he must have been tucking this one away for a while because uh, you know, it's all worked out, and it's beautiful. 22-inch wheels, Brembo's peeking out from under those. And, you know, we've been Stunning. looking at this car now for probably four or five years, and it still looks fresh. It's just as beautiful inside, too. It's, it's unique inside in that uh, it, it's a, there's a large use of fabrics, even throughout the dash, and it just looks right. Uh, it, it looks a little – well, I think it looks nautical – in the right kind of way, hmm. maybe a little bit, um, but the use of uh, reclaimed wood and a stunning gauge uh, design—it's it's beautiful inside and out. Um, what would you like to drive? It's not—it's it, not a—it's um, not a super high performance car, but it's entertaining enough in your daily type of driving that. Uh, I mean, if you if you were to buy a super high performance car initially, that that two weeks two weeks go by, you're gonna you know you're gonna drive it regular anyway. So this kind of is tuned for regular driving, and the electric motor torque it's fun. I mean, around town, it, it, it's engineered for uh, for daily driving. It's most of the time when you were driving it, did you was the gas engine running? When I got out on the highways in uh, outside of L.A., the gas motor did turn on. But I started out all through Hollywood Boulevard, mm-hmm. and uh, the first 32 miles, I believe it was, was all electric, whisper mm-hmm. quiet. Um, the sound emanates uh, for parking lot reasons and pedestrian awareness. Sound emanates out of these speakers in the back, and it kind of sounds like a mix between Night Rider, the kit car, <laughs> and uh, or. Uh, a really strong G power chord on a guitar with a ton of distortion. It's kind of a mix between those. <laughs> so it sounds super sci-fi. No flashing eyeball headlights. Cool. Huh? If the beauty didn't uh, strike you, that, that sound definitely would. It's a gorgeous-looking car. Of course, it's a six-figure automobile. Six-figure, um, and, you know, <laughs> but if you break it down by the pound, it's not that bad. <laughs> well, it's a heavy car. Yeah, it's over 5,000 pounds. But think about it. There are a lot of cars today where breaking that six-figure barrier is not really where they're priced. They're priced another 50 or 75 grand above that. So a limited production car like this, actually, that's not a bad price. Not at all. I mean, you think about all the Cayennes running around mm-hmm. and Pan Americas and stuff like that. Once you drain the battery juice, mm-hmm. um, switch the gas engine, can you then go back? Does the batteries charge back up again? Or is it like the Volt where you're kind of SOL? Yeah, I don't think you're going to get it charged up to the point where you're just going to run on – you're not going to run on battery again, no. Not solely. But, uh, yeah, it'll, it 
provides electricity to the generators and the one advantage, uh, or I guess it's got two two advantages. It'll go a little bit further on electric alone. Oh, no, I'm, what am I thinking about? It doesn't have a mechanical link at any time between the gas engine and the rear wheels. It has rear-wheel drive, first of all. It's not front drive like the Volt. And then uh, where the Volt has that one issue where there is a mechanical link between the gas engine and the wheels under some, some certain circumstances like high speed, uh, my understanding is the Karma does not, so... That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of performance, let's move on to two cars that everyone at the table here has had some experience with. The first one, uh, these were two cars that we had down at our winter testing uh, grounds down at Roebling Road in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, Audi TT RS, uh, really a spectacular vehicle and probably, I will say, made us respect the uh, TT once and for all. Anybody want to chime in? Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of the with the tt uh there's a lot of performance there but just with the looks of it more than anything else uh no one really takes it seriously as a performance car uh but they definitely kicked it up a notch with this car it's got the inline five uh turbocharged like 360 horsepower and as you mentioned we had it at roebling which uh is not very uh kind to underpowered cars but uh ttrs uh was awesome there we had a blast with it the balance of the car in corners was spectacular, as was the braking. I mean, I, I felt like I was in a different – I felt like it was a – I'd never been in a TT before if this is what the TT was capable of. Yeah, it felt more like a mini uh, R8 than a, than a TT. Ben? Yeah, you could yeah. brake late into the corners. It had strong pull out of the corners, and it sounded great while it was doing it too. Sort of still looks a little bit like a squashed bug. This is it. It's probably the, the most fun car to drive uh, around. It's just super easy. You never had to really worry about – about anything. And those are words out of a guy that really hadn't driven too many performance cars before he joined the MotorWeek staff. No. Cool. But it's, you know, it's very good for a daily driver. And it's very comfortable. Ride is obviously a little harsher, but not, not extreme at all. You know, I'm not sure there's much besides the engine that they couldn't do across the whole uh, TT line and improve the whole thing. Uh, another car, which uh, we had our first chance to get behind the wheel at Roebling, which is the new 3 Series BMW. All new 3 Series. The particular car we had, of course, is the new four-cylinder, which is making a lot of uh, uh, waves. Uh, uh, and I think we came away uh, happy with the car, but not so sure about the four-cylinder, only because it's not a six. Anybody want to build on that? Yeah, obviously with fuel economy issues that we're going through, the, the four is very important to BMW. and a lot of their buyers uh and therefore maybe it wasn't as fun as maybe we were expecting it's still a very good car but the three series itself is keeps getting bigger and bigger and less of a three series yeah Yeah. (laughs) the interior is just still phenomenal um and they've got a lot more rear seat room and trunk room which they really needed not enough to set any records or anything but enough to catch up with everyone else uh, I mean, but, if you put a 5 Series badge on it and somebody didn't know any different, 3 is the new 5. You define the 5, I think you'd, you'd feel at home in this car. Um, the only thing that bothered me, I guess, was just the, the four-cylinder was rather noisy. And uh, we've driven a lot of four-cylinders that aren't. But this one sounded a little bit like a diesel at idle and startup, which was kind of disconcerting to me. But Yeah, I'm not sure how that will go over with the, the majority of BMW's customers. But, I mean, if they want the fuel economy, they'll, they'll live with it. And it did that. It had automatic stop-start, yeah. and uh, we, we did very well with well I- over 30. I think I'll wait till we get into 335 before I really get my final judgment. That, that's, on the my, that's my favorite one. Yeah, I, I think anybody that loves BMWs too, same. 
Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. That was a very good rundown and a lot of hardware there. Now let's turn to our lightning round, and this is where uh, we all sit around this table, and we have two minutes to talk about the topic of the hour. And uh, at the end of that, we'll hear this bell from our producer, Michelle Parker, and that means time's up, and we sort of have to shut up at that time. Here we go. (laughs) Well, with the New York Auto Show sort of now history, We've officially wrapped up the auto show season, both in this country and around the world. Which vehicle would you say was the star of the season? I'll go last. Oh, oh I'll just say the Viper from New York. Just uh, having a hard time remembering everything from the uh, season, but, uh, I mean, that thing looks awesome. I can't wait to drive it. Ben? Any- My favorite wasn't technically in a show, but it was up at the Easter Jeep uh, up at Moab. It was uh, their FC concept. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it. That was awesome. It, it's kind of like a new version of the old uh, forward control Jeeps back in the day, big cab forward thing. They used a Wrangler um, used a Wrangler shell and just tucked it full forward over the wheels. You were sitting on top of the wheels. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So old cab over. Really what? military looking from the outside. Yeah. But on the inside, it was red with plaid interior, and they cut the plaid out of some snowboard bags and sewed it in. It was really, really pretty high end inside. Just aggressive super tough any uh thoughts steven i think the elantra um you know taking detroit uh just i think that's that not that it was a surprise but the elantra not not the compact car of the year yeah i mean uh north american American car of the year year, yeah Uh Um, Yeah, the elantra did win the north american car of the year and i think that uh Hmm. you know again not that it it was a really it's a really nice car but i think that that to me was uh, the star of Wow, all that room and 40 miles per gallon. Yeah, it did overshadow, actually, in Detroit a lot of the new cars because there was a lot, so much press about that. Um, I agree with the Viper. I've got some others I'll throw in the bag. I think that the press fell in love with the new Ford Fusion, which comes out in the fall. Uh, It's got the uh, Aston Martin-type grill to it. It's certainly a better-looking car than the previous Fusion, and uh, along with the Malibu, uh, uh, it's going to really hype up the midsize wars and you now can actually buy some Detroit mid-sized cars that are, um, shall we say, worth buying and do uh, battle. Who, who said the, that before? But yeah. it never seems to pan out. It doesn't. Do you think, uh, do you think we're for real? This yeah, time? I do. I guess yeah. we uh, we've just we've driven the Malibu. And I'm very impressed with that. Uh, and looking at this car, and judging from what Ford's building in other products right, right now, because there's a new Accord yeah. Altima coming out really boring. Soon, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll add to one more, the Buick Encore, only because uh, it's a mini SUV. Its time probably has not come, but it may point the way to the future as fuel economy laws get uh, ratcheted up. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, the uh, the Altima, I know the bells rang. I, I was a little unkind there. The Altima is a very nice-looking car, but... Um, I guess I'm looking at something that's a little more stylish than what we've had before. And the Altima and uh, perhaps the Honda aren't going to be that much different than what we've seen this so far. But we'll see. Okay, I violated stay my tuned. own rules. We'll stay tuned. Now we have go to our Motor Week mailbag. And um, this time we have a question from a guy who calls himself Grumpy Lloyd. Well, Grumpy. <laughs> Uh, here's the question, right? <laughs> Come on. We are why are pickup trucks referred to as half ton, three quarter ton, or one ton? Boom. Uh, just payload capacity, right? Well, it, it believe, used to be yeah, payload. Half ton just refers to just your basic full size. Uh, when you get into three quarter and one ton, you get into heavy duties, 
And basically, it's just a stiffer suspension in the rear to handle more weight. Right? Well, yeah, traditionally, a half ton meant a pickup truck that if you loaded up with 1,000 pounds worth of cargo and people, that was its limit. Right. But now you can buy a light-duty pickup truck that will hold two and a half to three times that. Oh, I thought uh, it was just payload. It's people, too. It's wow. payload, and it's people and cargo. Huh. So the traditional so-called half ton, say an F-150 or uh, Silverado 1500 or Dodge 1500, uh, Ram 1500, uh, I mean, some of those can haul uh, almost 3,000 well, pounds. I'll tell you, in casual everyday pickup truck use, uh, you'd be surprised how easy it is to throw 1,000 pounds in the back. Oh, very easy. Yeah. A load of dirt or mulch. Mulch, yeah. No problem at all. I, I'd probably put a ton and a half of uh, pavers in the back of a half-ton pickup once. <laughs> so, Grumpy, it's one of those things that probably 50, 60 years ago it made sense. Today it's just a carryover. Three-quarter ton, as Brian said, generally means – uh, heavy duty, and one ton means a little bit heavier duty than that. Uh, but it, they really don't have anything to do with the actual uh, payload capacity of the vehicles anymore. Yeah, it's a good, good question. question. Yeah, it is. Yeah, a good very good question. Nice. Uh, okay, that brings that to a close our Motor up, Week Lord. mailbag and our podcast number 69. I want to thank our writer and two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson. Our over-the-edge reporter, Stephen Chupnik, and our associate producer, Ben Davis, along with our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. One of these days, we're going to have to get Bob in front of a microphone. And our ever-ready producer, Michelle Parker, the lady with the bell. And I just love saying that. I hope you'll join us for more Motor Week podcasts. Be sure to watch Motor Week on your local public television station and on Cable's Velocity. Till next time, I'm John Davis. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by rockauto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive series, each week on your local PBS station.